Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the Digital Tiny Room. I am Michael of Michael and Benjamin's podcast. I am joined digitally, as always, by the man who has been called the result of 800 years of oppression. It's Benjamin. I am the result of 800 years of oppression, Michael, and I'm awful ticked about it. My goodness. Look what it gets you. Look what it gets Look you. What it, it gets, gets you. A generation of Bens. Spite. Yeah. In human form. Ben, you're back after a brief sabbatical last week. Um, yes, I, I took a break, Michael. I'd had enough of the podcast. Um, that's not true. My my lovely parents were here to visit uh, me in Florence. And, and Michael very kindly allowed me to take it off. And yes, I am now Ben's supervisor in the podcast. Apparently, yeah. I am the one responsible for deciding when he can do this voluntary thing <laughs> yeah. on a week-by-week um, week basis. So I, I, applied, I applied for the time off. Uh, yes. Michael reviewed it. Yeah, and uh, he said, "Yeah, that's fine, but it earns you an extra six years on your sentence." So the podcast will be going six years longer than anticipated, ladies and gentlemen. But it's okay because I got to see my parents. Ben, the podcast has already been going about a year and a half longer than expected. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think I think a full seventy-six episodes longer than expected. Yeah, I think that's um, a fair thing to say. Benjamin, um, yes, shall you? Do, do you want to do the theme music? Sure. <gasps> Theme music for the podcast We don't actually have anything music But I hope someone will make some up for us I don't want to name any names Rachel, I hope it's Rachel Oh, very good. Shane flat out refused to do that last week. You'll remember. Ah, I, yeah. I, I didn't, I didn't like that, Michael. I thought perhaps he would, he would take note of the customs here in our strange little tiny room land and well, maybe adhere to the cultural norms. But no, no, Ben, like quite like the the imperialist British, he came, ran roughshod over our traditions. Yeah, he he stamped it out. Some yeah. might say. Yeah, um, he attempted to, but we had little, we had little gatherings where we we saved the language, Michael, and we we came back, we rallied really in yes. the face of such oppression, and yeah. and came out the other end. Ben, speaking of rallying in the face of oppression, yeah, um, their their devil has been cancelled. Does that work? Well, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> don't, don't think so. In in that we suffer under the tyranny of TV executives and their wings. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's what I, I mean. It doesn't belittle actual struggles for human rights or, you know, fights against actual dictatorships or anything like that, Michael. It's, it's perfectly fine. No, but Ben, um, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that uh, Netflix, Marvel's Netflix Daredevils, um, certainly their most popular show critically, if not financially, uh, has been cancelled. Yeah, it's been it's been let go. Look, Marvel is just severing ties, Michael. Um, but believe it or not, I don't think it's Marvel. Well, no, I don't think it's Marvel um, either. So I, I, believe, I ben, believe it. Netflix I believe just, it. Marvel's just or Netflix is just scrubbing, scrubbing the slate. Um, yeah. Because uh, rather interestingly, after after this news broke, Michael, um, a Marvel executive here said that they had no idea that uh, they would be cancelled. This was mm. a surprise to those working on the producer team. It was, um, it was which one? One of the producers, uh, co-executive Sam Ernst, said that uh, execs from Marvel Television were stunned when the word came down that Netflix wouldn't be renewing the show for a fourth season. Mm-hmm. This is more interesting because er- prior to this news, he had tweeted that they had been pitched season four. Um, right. And they were really looking forward to it. They said it was going to be really cool. Uh, the exact phrasing was so effing cool. Yeah, that sounds about right. Ben, 
it's clearly Netflix um, getting ready for Disney Plus being their major competitor. Yeah, they don't want to deal with that and pay for extra rights to the characters, I suppose. Oh, yeah, Disney I, up I, the cost, I mean, something like that. It's always been lots. Who knows who owns characters and rights to characters and what sort of legal mumbo jumbo is happening in the background? We'll never know. Anyway, that's for well, sure. Interestingly, apparently the tide of the Sony Marvel merger is in question again because the last two properties they've released under the Spider-Man title, that being Venom and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, have been very successful for Sony. So Sony well, apparently is Into the Spider-Verse isn't out yet, is it? Uh, it is in certain places and it's doing very well. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Oh, figures. Oh, we should probably talk about in, Spider-Man in, next week then. In pre-sales alone, Michael, they're doing very well. Yeah, I know. Uh, that, I, it is actually worrying. It's worrying how well Venom did, considering how relatively poor it was how little spider-man there is yeah i and how mediocre it was as a film i fear that it's doing very well internationally because you know the old classic international you don't have to speak english things don't have to be terribly clever basically spectacle yeah um a white male actor that many people find attractive (laughs) (laughs) um shut up for a second ben what were we talking about we were talking about how Daredevil has given us oppression. Oh, being yeah, 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 very good. Um, Major yeah, oppression. It's clearly Netflix that are doing it. The The showrunners, everyone seems to be shocked. Surely Jessica Jones is next. I can't see how they'd possibly let it survive. I, unless they're holding out for feminism points, but I doubt it. I highly doubt it. I, I imagine that they... Ben, where's the production on Jessica Jones? I don't know. Have they I, made I, season I mean, three? One of the ones that I I think they're mid-production. Okay. I, I don't think they'll cancel the show mid-production. No, they're not that spiteful. that'd be a giant waste of money. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm really upset about is there'll be no Punisher season two, I don't think. No, I think there will. I think that's already a go. Oh, has, has that wrapped? I don't think it's wrapped, but I imagine... See, look, I, I won't be know. stunned. No, yeah, I don't know either, Ben, obviously. I won't be stunned if it is cancelled. But I think that Punisher season two will might just squeak out past the, the gate... I'd, I'd like to see a Punisher season two. It's in my top three of the the Marvel Netflixes. Yeah, um, you have to look back though, Ben, and think about mm-hmm. it. The first couple of series very were Daredevil season one, Daredevil season two, and Jessica Jones season one. Yes, very well received, very good. Daredevil season two, not as good, but you know, still strong. Luke Cage yeah. season one, massive viewership, but really dropped off after Cottonmouth was killed. Not a lot of cultural impact either. No, after Cottonmouth was killed. Yeah, then I didn't see. I I don't know whether this speaks to the the relatively low participation of African American males at Comic Cons, but I don't see many Luke Cage cosplays. It's also you don't see many you don't see many Netflix cosplays really because they're basically Not just people really. in normal clothes. Mm, mm, uh, I was mm. thinking, uh, you you know, a friend of the podcast, our friend John. Yes, John, friend of the podcast. John, he was on the podcast a very long time ago. I'm going to ask him to be Kingpin at next year's Dublin Comic Con, and I might go as uh, I might go as uh, Black Suit Daredevil, and he and he goes Kingpin, and we'll have a fight and get kicked out. Are you going to paint RIP across your chest? And well, I'll have to now. Hmm. But anyway, yeah, I think they'll squeak Jessica Jones out, and they'll squeak Punisher out, and that'll be the end of it. Yeah, that's a shame. I. You know, although how far they could have taken this is is beyond me, Michael. I don't know how much longer well, they could have, have run it. Ben, I follow a toy YouTube channel on uh, on Twitter and on Instagram called Toy Galaxy. 
And yes. Dan, who hosts Toy Galaxy, said that it wasn't so much as he was disappointed Daredevil was cancelled. He said, think of it as a satisfying end of the arc for that character, which is actually very true. Mm, I haven't seen the new season, but also... Get out of yeah. here, you son of a bitch. Why haven't you seen it? Fair enough. I I don't have Netflix time, Michael. It's it's a it's a I'm I'm coming up to final critique week, so it's all hands on pencils. Um, I don't I don't really have time for TV. I'll critique you, Ben. In other <laughs> news, um, yes, at least the shows will be able to move to Disney Plus, the new Disney streaming service. Do you do you think they will, Michael? Do you no, they Disney, won't, Ben. Disney. I think they're just going to recast and wipe the slate. I don't think they'll do that, um, but Disney have already said that they won't be transferring the shows across. That's a shame. I'd like to see more Charlie Cox Daredevil. You like would just Charlie like Cox. to see more Cox in general. More Cox in general. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Zing. Um, some casual homophobia there from Michael. Um, <laughs> as if looking at Cox was a bad thing. Yeah. This is the 21st century, Michael. You can look at a cock all you like. Oh, that, That's what um, it feels like when I do it to you. Cox for everyone. Oh no, Michael. that's so mean. Ben, Anyway, there won't be any room for Cox on Netflix because they're aiming a bit higher. They're aiming a bit bigger with movie stars. It's a Cox-free zone. Yeah, because they've announced that the first show they're going to produce will be called Vision and the Scarlet Witch. Oh, boo. Hmm. Boo. That's boring. Do you think it'll be about their love affair? Um, I, I, I don't see how it couldn't be. Um, it's all very, yeah, it's, it's, it's all very it's Avengers 4 dependent. They just want superheroes riding, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so maybe there I will mean, be cocks. Like, I mean, there's no harm in it if you if you want to see superheroes riding. Look, um, that's up to them. I personally don't think that the Scarlet Witch could carry a show. Well, that's why Vision is on board now. I think. Um, I also, I'm also not sure. From I'm, I'm assuming it's the same actors. Same actors. Every, well, you're the second person who's asked that, Ben. I just assumed that it was. I didn't even go as far as saying I assume it was. But yeah, it has though, to be, though, doesn't it? It has to be. But a man like Paul Bethany doesn't usually take on some television or an Elizabeth Olsen work, uh, or ben, an Elizabeth it, Olsen. I think the interesting thing is, though, it's not really television, is it? No, it's streaming. And Ben, unlike. Um, the Netflix stuff which is produced by Netflix and unlike the Disney ABC stuff which is produced by Marvel TV boo, boo. Um, this boo. will be produced by Marvel Marvel Studios so Kevin Feige mm, that, I mean th- that bodes well to some degree but let's not forget Marvel hasn't always been the best of movie makers not always but I mean they're, always. Just... They're, they're improving steadily I but don't I, necessarily I just, agree to that. Everything, everything they've released has been good to great. Uh, they've never released sorry, anything Michael. that's flat out bad. You name one I'm thing that's sorry, bad. Michael. If you say Avengers, Avengers, I'm gonna neck kick you. Avengers, neck kick. Avengers. Ben, yeah. you're coming oh, back to Dublin. Oh God, I was just <laughs> kicked through the screen in the neck, Michael. Oh Christ! Put those weapons of mass destruction away, Michael. Yeah. Oh bloody iron calf. Oh. I do have very strong calves, actually. You you do, yeah. I've well, been terrified by them before. We'll stick a picture up. You <laughs> leave the room quite often when you. Anyway, Benjamin. Anyway, um, let's stop talking about that because, as you know, there's no point speculating. It might all turn out to be false anyway. Yeah, I I look. Um, uh, what I wouldn't put past Disney because Disney's done it before is um, bloody recasting for for other shows. They've done that before. They. 
they kind well, of dip in and they say, oh, well, it's it's separate. You know, it's the character that's important. It's not really. People get very attached to the various you, actors that play. Tell me one time that someone's that they've done that. Uh, with all the Disney prequel stuff on the Disney Channel. Oh, yeah, but fuck that shit. I, I think this well, is bigger than that. Uh, you can say that, but this is Disney. Disney doesn't have to play mm. by the rules. You're right, Ben. That is worrying. Disney doesn't have to play by the rules. Disney is building a monopoly, Michael, on our superheroes. Yeah. That, that's the aim here, mm-hmm. is, is that we just have Disney. All out Disney. Ben, I'm scared. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you think then I mean, they'll ban no. music? They'll ban music that doesn't have a chirpy teen female singing it, I suppose. Mm. Someone they can market till they have a drug problem or harm themselves. Oh, Jesus. Are you talking about Miley well, Cyrus? Miley Cyrus, Demi Lovato, Selena Gomez. Take your pick, really. Like, anyone who's worked for Disney generally doesn't come out unscathed. Mm. Christina um, Aguilera did all right. Paul Bethany, I'm afraid, is going to come away with a terrible cocaine addiction. <laughs> or, you know, poor Chris Evans. God bless him. He's so wholesome, though. They make him. They make him sing in those tight outfits, though. That's not Disney. Yeah, that's not Disney. Um, speaking of odd rumors that are completely unsubstantiated, Michael. Yes. Um, bloody, bloody. Uh, the Russo brothers were hinting at a little uh, Chris Evans return to the uniform. Oh. Did you not hear about this? Is it, no. Uh, no. It's it's all it's all rumorous. Chris Evans but, is uh, joining the actual army. Apparently, no. Uh, Chris Evans is not hanging up the the shield. He's uh, a real faker, isn't he? That Chris Evans guy. Uh, yeah, I, I look. I wouldn't turn down that paycheck either, though, Michael. I know you wouldn't, I'd, Ben. I'd, I'd milk that Disney money for all it's worth. We had a little conversation before we went on air about what you'd do for money. Oh, plenty, plenty of things, Michael. If you or anyone would like to know what Ben would do for money, uh, just click below on the link on our Patreon and link. Go through to his Patreon link, and you'll see the various tiered reward systems yeah. available. It's uh, it's not great. Look, it's I a won't. lot of ass stuff. <laughs> Ben, what? Oh no, Ben. As a quick uh, diversion away from that, have you been reading any comic books lately? I have, Michael. I have been reading comic books. Um, Since we're so Marvel focused today, I think we'll take a little break and and flick over to the DC end of things. Um, First bit of great news is the first trailer for the bloody Outsiders was dropped. Oh, Um, I haven't seen that. It's uh, Young Justice Outsiders. Um, Looks bloody good. Looks like a nice return to form. Characters we love. This is an Um, animated series, is it? It's, it's the animated series. Um, the tagline was, it's finally back, which is kind of cool. It's a nice nod to how much fans have been waiting for this show to come back. I'm mm-hmm. very much looking forward to it, Michael. It's probably the best animated thing that DC puts out in terms of characterization and actual fluidity in the animation. That's very good. So that's coming. There's not much to talk about. It was kind of snippy bits from all over the series. You can't really piece anything together. There's yeah. a meta-human trafficking thing going on. That, that'll play a, a central conceit, I suppose. Um, but the more interesting thing that I've been reading this week, uh, Michael, is uh, Heroes in Crisis. Heroes in Crisis by Mr. Oh. Tom King. Tom King has caused some controversy, as you know, on the podcast Tom King. before, Michael. Uh, no, not your friend Tom King. Uh, DC Comics Tom King. Oh, okay. Uh, and rather interestingly, uh, Heroes in Crisis is probably one of the most ambitious things that DC has done in a while in terms of humanizing their heroes. Very often, Michael, the the, the top three in, in DC get a bit of a... a a grilling when it comes to their relatability. Superman right. is too powerful. That's mm-hmm. often the biggest criticism of Superman. Yeah, he's going to fight Woman Dr. Manhattan. Is, yeah, Wonder Woman is very similar. She's too powerful. Uh, and Batman is unbeatable. These these are the, the three 
common complaints about this kind of thing. And I suppose you could say that about many heroes. And, and one of the biggest struggles that DC has always had is, is power levels, Michael. Yeah, go on. They can't decide just how powerful the characters are. They're as powerful as they need to be, Ben. Uh, which is bad writing in, as a general rule. Oh, that's uh, interesting because that's going to come up later. Heroes in Crisis are, uh, is very interesting in that it focuses around an organization called Sanctuary. Sanctuary is an organization that is dedicated to rehabilitating and providing counseling for superheroes. Yeah. You and I have spoken before about the trauma of being a superhero and how that's never really played with here or there. Marvel has done it with, with Iron Man once or twice in yeah, films the, where he's alcohols. suffering from PTSD. Mm-hmm. This is a very interesting look at the, the big moments in DC heroes' careers and how it's affected them. For example, each issue has a dossier file with like a Polaroid, kind of similar to a case file, but yeah. it's of that hero's darkest moments. So for example, Superman died in the death of Superman arc. Did so that a picture still of him happen post New 52? Well, see, this is, this is the interesting thing, Michael. Oh, it's sorry. dredging up all the history of DC that some of which might have been retconned. For example, the Aquaman one is him holding his severed hand. Oh, but that uh, didn't happen anymore. The Batman one is him having his spine broken. Did that happen? I'm not sure if that happened. We don't. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So it's an interesting look. More than that, it humanizes the heroes in a fantastic way because at the beginning of each issue, there's a, a nine panel grid and it's a superhero talking to what you assume is a camera. Every time you say, every time you say humanizing, I have the song "Womanizer" by Britney Spears in my head. But now it's I'm a humanizer. We're a humanizer. DC's a humanizer. Oh, fair, oh, fair enough. Oh, you could probably sell oh. it to them as okay. as a, we'll a marketing ploy. Go on, looking um, at a camera. But they look at camera and they confess what makes it difficult. So one of the really interesting ones is Batman. He sits down. He actually takes his cowl off and he says, "I hire people to fight alongside me." I train them, I look after them, and I get them killed. So that's his yeah. big trauma. It's, it's not what you dig. expect. Um, Wonder Woman refuses to speak. I can't so it's imagine an interesting look Batman at going her to ego. therapy. Neither could I. And this is where Tom King is beginning to get a bit of a backlash. I suppose the very interesting thing that kicked this series off, uh, Michael, is that everyone who was at the sanctuary facility was murdered. Oh. Um, so th- what's really interesting here is uh, Wally West Flash is now dead. Okay. Lagoon Boy is dead. This is not spoilers, by the way. Right. Um, this is the the central conceit of the thing. It's in the blurb. Okay. Ben, who did it? Series, was it Hawk of Hawk the, and Dove? Uh, so that this is the way we're producing it. Uh, initially, we're fed a red herring, and we're supposed to think. Well, spoilers for the series from from this point on. In case anyone wants to go read it, the art is magnificent. By the way, I, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, what's it called? Heroes in Crisis. Oh, yeah. Heroes in Crisis. Um, Booster Gold is the red herring that we're given. Okay. Um, what what are the red herring's powers? Uh, um, the red herring is able to make anyone else uh, the target of other people's hatred. It's, it's <laughs> very useful in the comic book industry. Very many, good. many writers wish they had that ability. Yeah. Um, very good on the spot thinking there. Uh, Tom King, I would imagine, uh, is also the same because My friend it's Tom actually King. Harley Quinn. No, not your friend Tom Quinn. Uh, uh, Harley Quinn is the one who's been murdering heroes. Harley Quinn? Yeah. So this is where Tom anyone? King is getting himself into trouble, especially with the last issue. Harley Quinn took on the trinity of DC heroes, Batman, Su- uh, Superman, and Wonder Woman, mm-hmm. and she beats all three of them. That doesn't make a lot of sense, Ben. It doesn't make any sense, Michael. She's and just a woman one of with the a most, One of the most insulting things 
to come out of this is that Superman says she's as good as you to Batman. Ridiculous. Which is completely ridiculous. Naturally, Michael, mm-hmm. fanboys are in an uproar. <laughs> oh, fanboys. Um, many people didn't believe that Tom King could do this because he's been riding Batman for quite a while. They wouldn't they didn't think he would put him in this position. Many people wrote to Dan Didio, who is the chief publisher, the chief editor of DC at the moment. Uh, he's the man at the helm. Saying saying that he is forcing his writers to push Harley Quinn because she's such a popular character. Well, Ben, that's just how commercial art works. So they can suck a lemon on that one. What's what's more interesting, Michael, is that Tom King has come out and said, no, completely my decision. Of course he has. I mean, it's it's irrelevant anyway. He might be pushing Harley Quinn because Harley Quinn's a popular character. Yeah. It doesn't, well, doesn't matter, I'm, does it? It doesn't what matter why. There is, uh, she is such a central focus in this series, Michael, that... Uh, fans are now redubbing the comics and there's various photoshops of it being Harley Quinn in crisis Um, that's that's what it's called now anyway what's interesting is Harley Quinn has gone toe to toe with Booster Gold um, various villains from the DC universe Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman at the same time this is the three of them working together against Harley Quinn and she's beaten all of them and now many fans are just dropping the comic because it's very heavy unbelievable well it's a very heavy comic but it's also completely unbelievable Hmm. no nobody really believes that harley quinn despite being a popular character and often fun could go up against batman superman and wonder woman at the same time and win that would be like you defeating me shane and rachel at the same time not a chance michael not a chance no not a chance even on my even on my best day yeah i could barely take i could barely take a small infant let alone the three of you. Yeah. Rachel alone would bury me. Yeah, I know. She'd kill you. Wouldn't have a hope. She's got all those wrestling moves. Yeah, she knows a lot of moves. Um, Shout out to Rachel. <laughs> yeah, hi, Rachel. Um, what are we saying again? Uh, yeah, but so it's, Ben, it's... do you remember a listener a few months ago? Oh, crimey peeps. Um, uh, was it, bring, it... it rings a, a vague bell in the back of the mind. Oh, crimey peeps was a bit of an anti-Tom King. Not my friend Tom King, the writer Tom yes. King. Yes. Um, who came up with the thing of all he does is punch his way out of situations. Mm. Um, and sadly, I had to go back and, and reread that arc and, and agree with uh, Crimey Peeps. Uh, mm. it is, he very often relies on that. More, more to the point, um, it, it's just very inconsistent writing with regards to power levels and how he does it. So uh, I think the big insult and the thing that people find most insulting about Tom King's latest run in Heroes in Crisis is that Superman turns around to Batman and says she's as good as you. Is the fact that that a, a, with, a slightly mad woman with the stick isn't able to fight which, Superman not a bigger issue? How does she fight them then? She so uh, basically it, it's set up. They have her cornered, um, and she fakes sympathy for Wonder Woman. So she takes advantage of Wonder Woman's uh, kind of bias towards helping women in need. I Classic. suppose she she takes advantage of that. She then takes the lasso of truth. Mm-hmm. Off Wonder Woman, who's super fast. Backwards, yeah. Who's super fast? Yeah. Somersaults backwards onto Batman, mm-hmm. wraps the rope around his neck, mm-hmm. and holds him to ransom. Let alone, okay, fair enough. The the lasso of truth does bind you instantly. You yeah, can't I just, know, but I mean, like Superman. Uh, fair Superman enough. Superman would be able to move faster than it would take her to do a backflip. Yeah, also Superman Wonder Woman could, would be able... Wonder Woman su- cannot just be kicked backwards by a somersault. Yeah. Superman could she fly around this. the world. 
in the time um, it would take you to do a backflip. Yeah, so that's that's the first conceit. So she catches Batman off guard. Fair Both. enough, he's only human. But in other comics, Batman reacts very quickly mm-hmm. to things like that. Or doesn't trust people enough to let them get close to Wonder Woman. I don't like think, Ben, that this is necessarily a problem we're having with the Harley Quinn comic so much as comic books. Mm, it's it's a varying power level issue. But yeah. anyway, just just to give you the, the really ridiculous part. On, yeah. She uses the Lasso of Truth to find out where Batman keeps his kryptonite. Right. Okay. Uh, Up his butt. Earlier, earlier in the issue, uh, the Trinity are having a debate over one of the cadavers found at the Sanctuary. Right. Um, about how Batman must have been spying on Sanctuary. Now, I think a cadaver so, is a medical term for a body um, that you're going to chop up. Corpse, I guess, then yeah. would be probably the more accurate yeah, term. Yeah, I think so. Sorry, too much time bloody art arting. Drawing um, <laughs> They're all cadavers to me now, Michael. Yeah. Um, which is worrying for my mental health. Um, but overall, so what happens is they're having a debate over one of the corpses. Mm-hmm. And Superman says, tell us who it was, Bruce. And Wonder Woman says, you know, you were definitely spying on the people at Sanctuary. Uh, because Batman would do that to find yeah, out all their weaknesses, yeah. I suppose. But he says, yeah. no, I couldn't because I was going there. Uh, it had to Batman. be anonymous. Do you understand? So yeah. they believe him. And then he says, you definitely. So Superman says, you definitely have kryptonite on you now. And it's Batman up your butt. Says, no, I don't. No, I don't. I, I don't carry it all the time, which is a lie. But Harley Quinn then later exposes that by using the lasso of truth. So she gets the kryptonite ring and she escapes. Where was it? Now, it was in um, his pouch on his belt, on Batman's belt, naturally. Now, this stops Superman, but it does not excuse why Superwoman doesn't go and get her. Harley Quinn then crashes out the glass and runs away. Just normal running. doesn't chase after her. Who's Superwoman? Or, sorry, Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman doesn't chase after her. Yeah. Superman doesn't get up and recover from the kryptonite and chase after her. None of that happens. Yeah, they ridiculous. just let her get away. Now, Superman can see her because they have a, a telescopic vision scene. Yeah, they could have just lasered her. None of them chase her. None of them. Yeah. None of them, Michael. You've gone a bit, um, who's that guy from Nevermind the Buzzcocks? You've gone a bit him. Uh, Bill Bailey? No, Amst- Simon Amstel. Oh no! Yeah, sorry. That's how much. That's what happens when you talk about Harley Quinn. Oh no! Yeah, that's very interesting, Ben. I don't like the sound of that, but you know, I haven't um, been reading that comic, so it doesn't really affect but me. But it's it's a bit of a slap in the face to DC fans. I mean, I, I think the bigger slap is that Superman says that to Batman. They're they're. I know that seems ridiculous, but they're supposed to be basically brothers mm. to some degree, and I think it's. It's more of Tom King being like, oh, look what I can do with these characters. Um, but also, at the same time, there is some degree of paying homage to it. I suppose it would be similar in when they made Captain America a Nazi. Look. Yeah, it's shocking, the, but also, fuck you for doing that to a character. At the end of the day, Ben, love. at the end of the day, there's no reason for Batman to be involved with Wonder Woman and Superman. He's nowhere near powerful enough. The reason he became powerful enough is because he's popular. And when he was yeah. popular, they made him powerful. And now that's happening with Harley Quinn. I can't yeah. see any real justification for not letting Harley Quinn become inexplicably powerful. Well, at the end of the day, Michael, I am a DC fanboy, and I suppose mm. just I'm, I'm a little bit butthurt yeah. about the whole situation because you've got your kryptonite ring up there, Ben. Yeah. Speaking uh, of things and that you can have your kryptonite ring up there for twenty seven ninety five <laughs> on the Patreon account. <laughs> Very uh, good. You'll get a personalized video with your name. Oh um, Jesus, Ben! Nah, I'm just kidding. It's it's twenty eight fifty. Um, go on, <laughs> Ben. 
let's bloody yeah. move on. Ben, yeah, have you seen this week's new big movie release, uh, 2018's Robin Hood? No. No, you haven't, have you, Ben? No, I haven't. Do you know anyone who has been? Um, no, I don't. Yeah, you know why, Ben? Because it's a completely irrelevant legend and nobody has any connection to it <gasps> anymore, so the relevancy affects sales. Oh, my God. Jesus, yeah. that's a bit much. Ben, do you want to hear some figures about, about the new Robin Hood movie? I love a figure. Go on. Okay. Uh, reportedly, Ben, and you know, studios are a bit quiet about this, but it cost $100 million to make. Oof. Oof. Ben, Michael. that is a lot of money. That's a fuck ton of money. It really a is, isn't it? Ton. Yeah, like, that's a lot of money. Someone who's really rich. Like, you're really rich if you have more than about 50 million to your name. Oh, that's proper rich. That's really rich. And you still couldn't make Robin Hood. Good. <laughs> um yeah, it it cost about a hundred million to make. That doesn't include marketing. Although Ben, I've seen so little marketing, it can't have been too expensive. <laughs> got them. I got them. Zing. And, and Ben, so far, it has made twenty-two million euro, but twenty-two million dollars back. Which is fuck all, Michael. Yes, for that level ben, of investment. It came out seventh in the box office in its opening weekend yeah. in America. Tanked seventh. Tanked. Tanked. It's, it's on track to be the biggest flop of the year by a long way. And that's at the end of the fucking year. By a long like, way. Like, that's rough. Now, Benjamin, I also haven't seen it. That's how poorly that's the end this of was Taran, marketed. That's the end of fucking Taron Egerton's career, anyway. It's a real shame because um, I like him. He's a good actor. He, Eddie the Eagle was great. Yeah. The first Kingsman was very good. Yeah. Uh, second Kingsman left a lot to be desired, including a weird tracker insertion scene. Yeah. Um, also, uh, it's, um, he is ever so slightly shorter than me, which you know I like in an actor. You love that in an actor. If, yeah. if, if we lived in Michael's world, all actors would be below 5'6". I, I, I am well above 5'6". Ben, he... Um, <laughs> his... his the internet says he's almost the same height as me. I don't believe that. I think uh, he's the, shorter. The internet's a notorious fucking liar, Michael. Yeah, I think um, between the internet and Hollywood, they're he's notorious about my liars. Height, I think. I yeah, think he's one, about my height. The internet claims one meter seventy-five. I'm five eight. I don't know what that is. I don't do imperial uh, measurements. Don't do feet. Um, I'll, I'll look it up for you. You keep going anyway. Keep it metric, Ben. I, yeah, uh, we I'll suffered through eight hundred years of imperial regime, so. Uh, Speaking of 800 years <laughs> See what I did there Ben That was a um, whole conceit there For any of our English listeners Not that we have too many I, I don't suppose. think we do no, it's, um, it's not Well most. we'll have even less by the end of this episode <laughs> um, Even fewer But ben. to any of our Irish listeners Lads if you want to go up the back there And get the old Ballyclavies have been keeping for a special occasion yeah. And the flag um, This is going to be a fun episode Where we just take a look at the decline of Britain's empire <laughs> That's um, not what this episode is about, Ben. Yeah, there's there's going to be Brexit, imperialism, lack of imperialism, declining sovereignty, that kind of thing. Oh, lads, strap in. Um, ben, I thought we were going to talk about if British legends were still relevant and popular in today's modern world. They're not, Michael, and there's several reasons for that, including imperialism, lack of imperialism, <laughs> declining popularity. <laughs> um, no, look... Um, the way we wanted to look at this, Michael, was first of all, you you sent me a little WhatsApp message, and you said, "How Sorry. about King Arthur and the decline of that legend for 
uh, this week's pod and I said that sounds great because I love an old myth or legend you mm-hmm. know yourself we yeah. both do Michael oh, yeah. so off I did trot and did a little bit of research on each thing so I think luckily Robin Hood is a great segue for us there are a number of kind of public domain characters if you want to look at them that way all right, I do. Many, many of whom have strong British history because Victorian literature shaped a lot of those public domain characters. So if you'd like to take a look at your Draculas, your mm-hmm. Robin Hoods, yeah. your King Arthurs. Yeah, go on. These films have been remade in recent years. We had Dracula Reborn with Luke Evans. Yes. We had ben, uh, King Arthur. Yeah. Isn't your conceit hurt slightly by the fact that Dracula was written by an Irishman? It was written by an Irishman, but it centers. It was an Irishman who strongly related to Victorian London and set his entire thing against the backdrop of British Empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we can include it there. Um, right. Moving on from there, we have Robin Hood. Or, sorry, uh, King Arthur, which was recently remade by Guy Ritchie. Um, I have some figures on that, Ben. Do you want to hear that? Can I interrupt you? Do you want to hear uh, those figures? Yes, absolutely. Give me, the, give me the figures, Michael. King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, Ben, came out in 2017. Mm-hmm. Directed by Guy Ritchie. It cost $175 million to make. Fuck. And it made back 50 And Christ almighty. Absolutely massive box office bomb. You could almost go as far as to say last year's Robin Hood. I think that's a fairly fair parallel. Yeah. A lot of people who have seen both, neither of us, have said Robin Hood almost feels like a sequel. I, I have seen very much, I, I have seen King Arthur um, by Guy Ritchie, mainly because I'm a huge Guy Ritchie fan, and I think generally he gets a bad rap. You just I, like I think, the lads having banter in Londinium. Uh, I think one of the interesting things, uh, perhaps, uh, first of all, I thought the two Sherlock films from Guy Ritchie were quite good. That puts me at like odds them. with a lot of people. Mm. Me, um, for example. Yeah, sure. I enjoyed them quite a bit. Um, more, most of the point, regardless of what Guy Ritchie does, I think as a director and stylistically speaking, he's probably one of the most interesting visual directors on the on the planet. Where I think that fails horribly, especially in King Arthur's case, is he obsesses over the visuals, and it's almost like he crams too many visuals in and loses focus on individual characters. Right. Um, visually speaking, I think one of the most interesting scenes in in his directorial history is the run through the forest in the second Sherlock Holmes. Go on. Um, where he uses the, the body cams to capture the footage. Right. Um, and run through the forest. It's a, it's a fascinating scene. Um, it does an awful lot in terms of building tension, history. And he uses techniques that have become very pastiche, for example, slow motion. Mm-hmm. But he uses them in, in very interesting ways. And I think it carries a lot of his stuff. One of the best films I think he put out in the last couple of years that completely flopped again was The Man from Uncle. Um, right i think one of the best blocked visually composed films i've seen in the last while henry cavill was very Mm -hmm. good in it army hammer was excellent in it um it was a great film but it it flopped and i think it's because guy Ritchie, more than anyone has somehow lost his focus on what makes interesting characters and has mm. kind of switched it to making a very slick film. He makes the films very slickly, but his characters go by the wayside. They're very slick, and it's just the lads having the banter. Yeah. More more importantly than that, I think where he's failed, especially in King Arthur, and where I think things like Robin Hood fail, and it did from the trailer look like a spiritual sequel mm-hmm. to that Robin Hood thing. I think that time in Britain's history is very much past. 
Um, that, well, it, that is, notion it is literally of, the past, Ben. I know. Um, but in terms of relevancy to audiences, it's such a far cry from anything they could possibly relate to. Go on. Um, and the reason being for that is, first of all, let's start with the King Arthur myth. The King Arthur myth uh, has its roots in the 5th or 6th century. He was an actual figure, but how realistic he was is very much up for debate. He was a real figure. He was not magically imbued or chosen or anything like that. His original, He was originally a British leader against the Saxons in the 5th and 6th century, uh, mm-hmm. and he actually defended Britain against Saxons. Now, so the Saxons were the invader in this particular part, and it's important when we talk about this one, Michael, to look at the word invader and defender. These are two words that are going to come up Again and again. Not Marvel's Invaders and Defenders. Oh, I can damn feel it. the joke bubbling. I can see it in the corner of your eye, Michael. I'm not letting you have it. Um, uh-huh. Invaders and Defenders, not Marvel, are very important uh, in this particular case. Um, so that's the, the root of the legend. And then ben, all the way... Mm-hmm. Why, was, why was the King Arthur film then set in a kind of later medieval period? Because, Michael... Yeah. Uh, the famous version of the legend, the one that made him massively popular much mm-hmm. later, came from the 12th century. Yeah. Uh, and I think when his researchers were taking a look, um, 5th and 6th century is very, very, very primal. Yeah. It's basically people in fields and huts. And fields. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll remember that Clive Owen played that version of the character with Kira Knightley. Yeah. They were basically savages. old King Arthur film. They went all the way back to the Romans and had yeah. a look at Celts versus Romans. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, that's not Guy Ritchie's style. No. He couldn't possibly work with that. That's no, it didn't have, he didn't have Londinium in it. Yeah, this was basically Londinium with bloody brick walls in it. Um, that was basically what we had. Big stone walls, uh, Londinium. And Arthur was just a bit of a cockney lad. He's likely lads, in it. Um, I think the opening scene to King Arthur was basically his opening scene to Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels where your man packs up all his Del Boy gear and does a runner. Yeah, um, well, I mean, there was a whole thing. Much, there was yeah, a whole battle true. scene first with uh, with Eric Bana fighting oh, Eric inexplicably Banner. gigantic elephants. Yeah, inexplicably gigantic. Because there's no um, other gigantic animals. I oh, there's a giant snake. The, yeah, but even then... Even Go on, then. sorry. What am I saying? Why, um, am, I, why am I interrupting so you? What, what we were, what, what we look at then is, so a man called, oh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I have it here in front of me. What an unusual Jeffrey name. De, <laughs> his name was Geoffrey of Monmouth. Monmouth? Yeah. Monmouth. Yeah, I'm Monmouth, assuming it's Monmouth in that traditional kind of English pronunciation. It could be, well, so, you know, bloody English names. It could be Montborough. Yeah, we, we just don't know. The English. Um, bloody Brits. Um, anyway, I'm going to call him Jeff. Jeff, yeah. um, Jeff wrote uh, a little a little book called Historica de Bretonum, mm-hmm. uh, and it it basically took a look at the royal order in Britain at the time. Right, and this is where you get Guinevere. This is where you get Merlin. This is where you get the idea of Uther of Pendragon, and most importantly, Michael. Go on. Most importantly, this is where you get the idea that kings are chosen. Mm. They have birthright to yeah. throne. Very important. Now, Geoffrey of Monmouth, Jeff was part of Jeff was part of the court, right? At this time, there was a lot of humming and hang about how people got chosen to rule. Mm-hmm. This legend came along at Jeff, just the right, right time to talk about great British leaders and how they are born 
to be the born king they keep saying the born king in 2017's king arthur the legend of the sword so if if that's what you're trying to do that's a great way to make a peasant say no shut the fuck up peasant he's Mm. born to rule that's how this shit works that's a great way to do that now we get a lot of conventions like that you'll notice i didn't say the word lancelot you didn't lancelot is a central one he bloody rides arthur's wife yeah as we go along now that's in a secondary tale written by a French man, classic French. Classic and, the French coming and, here stealing and their a wives. Big blonde ride and yeah. a bit of fucking running around on your wife. Classic French. So the 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 man who came up with that, I can't say his first name, but we're going to say Detroit. Detroit is the man who comes What's up with that. What's his first name? And, uh, Crethian. Oh, okay. It's very 12th century. Mm-hmm. Crethian Detroit. Uh, or Crethian Detroit, if very you want to yeah. throw that in there. Anyway. He is the one who added Lancelot and the Holy Grail. Mm. So you're, you're probably most familiar with King Arthur and the Holy Grail. That's the oh, concept. Yeah. But that oh. didn't exist uh, before the secondary telling. Now, this was 12th century as well. It was a little bit later. But this is the French influence. And in these two stories, one is very interesting because it looks at, um, because it looks at King Arthur specifically mm-hmm. and the qualities that he has as a leader. Yeah, And then the French version looks at the knights around King Arthur. Mm. So King Arthur is the thing that ties all these knights together. Go and on. all the stories are about the knights around the round table. So I, yeah. I guess, in a way, the more traditional King Arthur legends are the French version, where you hear <laughs> the, about the knights of the round table. And King Arthur is almost a side character. He is. He's, the, he's just the thing that binds the stories together. Mm. He's your MacGuffin, I guess, if you want to look at yeah, like well, that. Yeah, well, I mean, that was, ben, that was one of the ideas I had for our proposed Moon Knight season two. Which we'll talk yes. about in another episode. Yes, we are going to have a season two of Moon Knight at some point. Yeah. Uh, it's going to come on the podcast eventually. Yeah. Um, but rather interestingly, Michael, um, the original 12th century story came at a time when there were a lot of warring factions within English society. So you had some people wanting to be king, other people wanting to be king, and a lot of humming and hawing about how that was chosen and stuff like that. This version of King Arthur, the one that Jeff came up with, is meant to unify people as one man ruling over Britain. Not England, <sighs> Britain. Yeah. Classic so English. There are Welsh tones too. Mm-hmm. That's where Uther Pendragon comes from. Pendragon is a famous Welsh kind of name. Okay. There are Welsh undertones. And he is the man who unifies and defends Britain against its invaders, be mm-hmm. they supernatural or otherwise. Ah. Now... Yes. When is the last time you thought of Britain being invaded? World War Two. World War Two. Close enough. Fair enough. And it's interesting that you mentioned that because the character after unified the country kind of dips off a little bit. It's a very persevering myth. But then a man called T.H. White came along at the beginning of the 19th century. Right. Okay. Sorry. At the, sorry. At the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th. Is this the and guy T- who invented white privilege? Uh, this is the guy. <laughs> no, it, it's not him, but it probably could be. Okay. Um, he came along and he wrote a book called "The Man Who Would Be King." I've heard of that. And what's different about what's different about this telling of King Arthur is it focuses on his values mm-hmm. as a person. So that's three very distinct reasons to tell the story, and yet again, it's used as propaganda because this was the time of World War One, mm-hmm. and it was also. Coming close to World War II. It was in that region of time. Mm-hmm. And the focus in this one is on what makes a good Brighton. Brighton? 
not Brighton, sorry, uh, Bretonian. Bretonian? Britannia? Oh, Britain. Britain, yeah, I'm not sure how to say it. But what makes a good British citizen? Okay. Someone who sacrifices for their country. Someone yeah. who fights on behalf of their country. Someone who it wears a hat. It reeks, Michael, it reeks you go on. propaganda. Go on. And so what I find interesting about that, and why I think modern audiences don't relate to him as much is, King Arthur is very much about defending Britain. Mm-hmm. Britain, during the Victorian period, when his legend dipped off, yeah. was very much the invader of other countries. Right. This wasn't defending Britain. They were invading other countries. They were expanding Britain. Do you then think that the recent kind of attempted resurgence of these characters and to me, Ben, what it seems like is they're trying to bring these characters back, but they've noticed that people love superheroes and shared universes. So they're trying to bring these characters back as superheroes. Well, I think that's definitely true. Do you think, think... Go on. Go on. No, no, you go ahead. Do you think that it's influenced by this kind of slightly slight resurgence in British nationalism and feeling of being invaded that they were that it's coming from that or that we're hoping to make money from that? I I honestly think I possibly tapping into that. Absolutely. I wouldn't put that past studios at all. Uh, I possibly think it's missing the mark because they're trying to do two things. They're trying to tap into that vein of nationalism, but they're also Americanizing these tales. Yeah. Something fierce. Ferocious. They're they're using British actors, Mm -hmm. but they're using a bloody blockbuster formula. An American blockbuster formula. But that doesn't really defend everything. But it's interesting. I think in terms of pure relevancy, British people don't see themselves as weak. Or in need of defense. British Mm -hmm. people see themselves as the empire. Yeah. And I think the national narrative during the time of Queen Victoria became very much, we are the empire, not we are one sovereign land defending the outsider, Mm -hmm. defending against the outsider. But I mean, that, that makes them weird characters then to try and sell internationally. Yeah, I know. It's, 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 maybe that's the other big reason. No, no British propaganda figure is ever going to do well in the united states well you say that but then captain america is very popular internationally Hmm. and captain america is very much an american world war ii propaganda character but if you look at the captain america character in the marvel movies Mm -hmm. he doesn't really have an american value system he's very liberal and modern and he he follows a very strong character arc of i don't like bullies yeah. And he doesn't really care who the bully is, be yeah. it the US government invaded by Hydra, be it, you know, infiltrated by Hydra, be it, mm. you know, a bad guy. He will always take the side of the underdog. Yeah, because. And that's having, how he's been written in the Marvel movies. Having watched Captain America all three recently and having watched King Arthur recently, Legend of the Stone, King mm. Arthur says a lot, you're dealing with England. Yeah. And I don't and think that's... Captain America ever says that. Well, yeah, because nationalism is misplaced if you want to market on a mass audience level. You can't have it's it's very anti-culturalism, and I think one of possibly the bigger thing there, which I hadn't given much thought to, but now that you bring it up, is England is not predominantly white anymore. Yes, it is. Uh, well, if you're looking at the big markets for cinema and stuff like that, London's not predominantly white. I think it is still. I think you. Yeah, I'm not necessarily arguing with your point here. I think I'm arguing with the use of the word predominantly. 
Okay, predominantly is probably the wrong word. But yeah. the Victorian period also Overwhelmingly, led to, maybe, is the word you're yeah, looking for. Um, but white people enough. certainly aren't the minority in England yet. Fair enough. Um, someone's going to use this as an audio clip in their, um, in their fucking pro-Brexit Court case speech. again? <laughs> no, in their fucking pro-Brexit Even other nationalities are making fun of us, saying that we are not the predominant race in our country. Even Paddy. Even, <laughs> even Paddy across the sea. Nigel Farage is rubbing his fat, drunken hands with glee. Um, Farage has quite slim hands. I yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I think what's interesting is... It's interesting to hear a man saying, this is England, but also have a thing against people coming in from the outside. Like the Victorian period reshaped England for better or worse. It changed the national narrative from invader or invaded to invader. And it, mm-hmm. it certainly allowed more demographics back into London. Yeah, because they out. had nowhere else to go because they went and kept conquering them. Yep. So they and, just kind of assumed that, you know, well, if I'm a British citizen, then I can go to Britain. Yeah. Um, yeah. You which keep is coming here and telling us how great Britain is. I'm going to go and have a look. I'm going to go check it out. And then they got offended by that, naturally. Mm. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question, though, isn't it? As to why they keep being remade and flopping. I think also... Yes, if you're going to do a medieval film, do a medieval film. Don't Just do, do a, a medieval... modern film yeah. with a big medieval city. Like, don't have quippy Taron Egerton, who's just two minutes away from whipping out his iPhone. Yeah. At any point. No, I, I like Taron Egerton. And I like Charlie Hunnam. Mm-hmm. They're both solid actors. But I think they're trying to modernize something that resists modernization at its core level. It's interesting, Ben, what you were saying earlier about the the idea of born kings not really being very popular these days. And we've talked about that in the past, about things like Marvel's Inhumans. Yeah, how it was very hard to support the royal family. And yet, a mere 15 years ago, the Lord of the Rings was massively popular. And Aragorn is a born king. Yeah. Mm. Aragorn proves his metal, though. He does, but so does King Arthur. Yeah. But he loses his wife to a bloody Frenchman, doesn't he? <laughs> can't, can't respect that in Britain. Can't nah. respect that. Uh, I can't ben, get behind that. Have you ever read any of the Marvel Comics UK stuff? Uh, I I can't say I've read it extensively. Because, as you know, in Marvel Comics, they have Captain Britain, Brian Braddock. Ooh. Uh, Ooh Brian. Twin, twin brother of Psylocke. Oh, I love Psylocke. Yeah, Psylocke when she was British, not Psylocke when she's Asian. Although they're still twins, I suppose. He's twins with her mind. It, look, it's complicated. Oh, um, a lot of his... A lot of his extraneous details, a lot of his side characters and a lot of his... Uh, situations and settings come from Arthurian legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, for example, it turns out that he's cho- chosen by Merlin yep. to protect to protect Britain across the multiverse. Each yep. Briton has a protector chosen by Merlin. Yep. Um, yeah, and you know, um, there's lots of stuff about Avalon or Avalorn. And Avalon, uh, by the way, is the traditional Latin term given to. Camelot? Bloody... No, it's it's the it's like Hibernia or Avalon is it? was the the Cumbria is it Cumbria? I can't remember. Uh, uh, possible Ben's retractions there, ladies and gentlemen. Just, just, hmm. Yeah, um, I'll look that up and have it for next week's podcast. But isn't it but interesting it, that uh, I mean, Captain Britain has a interesting visual design. He's had a couple of different suits. Hold on, I had to sneeze. Fuck off, Union Jack. <clears throat> 
podcast. <laughs> oh, excuse me very much. He has a couple of uh, different visual looks. Uh, one like really a beef eatery kind of thing, but then he ends yeah. up just in a Union Jack. But there's no sign of him breaking out. There's no sign of him. There's no rumblings about him getting a TV series. No, he's never uh, mainstreamed. He's never in video games. He if he's ever in the animated series, it's for two or three seconds standing in the background. What are his parents? Or powers, powers, what are Interestingly, what Ben, as you said, his powers are, because he's magical, his powers oh, are bollocks. as strong as they need to be, which oh, is what, interesting tits. when you said that earlier. You know, the classics, flight, super strength, invulnerability. He's a lot like, uh, the more he has his shit together, the more powerful he is. That's like the Gladiator character. It is a, quite a bit like in, the gla- like Gladiator, yeah. yeah. Um, with Gladiator, it's all about confidence. Yeah. With with uh, with Captain Britain, it's about keeping his shit together, but they they are very similar. Hmm. I don't hmm. like that power. That's that's literally giving yourself license for varying power levels. Well, that's why that's why the writer was it Alan Moore. I think it was Alan Moore. Is it who, Alan Moore? Yeah, I think it was Alan Moore who came up with that idea. And in a way, like in a way, Ben, it's a very realistic attitude to take for a comic book writer. Because it's the only one, I suppose. Because you're going to have to admit that this isn't real, and you're going to create situations that your characters need different powers for. Yeah. So you might as well, bloody, you might as well say, "Look, fuck it. It depends on how he's feeling." Fuck it. Fuck yeah. it. I'll, I'll at least say, like, look, fuck it. It depends on how Captain Britain's feeling, rather than look, fuck yeah. it. Depends on what corner I've written myself into. Uh, everyone loves a corner now and then, Michael. Yeah. Nothing wrong with an old corner as long as you can just barrel your way out of it, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose. Um, look, it's a complicated issue, Michael. How how do the listeners feel about know, nationalism in comics? Do you, let us know down below. This is, this is an interesting topic. Do you have any... Do, if we have any English listeners, please don't hate us. And second of all, let us know why stuff like that does or doesn't re- resonate with you. Sorry, I had a moment there my tongue stopped working um if if you think these legends are out of date do you think they represent a, a bygone britain that can't really be reconnected with mm. um let us know down below we'd, we'd love to know down below more to the point um has anyone actually seen the new robin hood film i don't right? think let so ben. what happens in it because uh, we haven't and we probably won't ben <laughs> i should knows. probably point out that for this episode of the podcast i watched uh 1991's robin hood prince of thieves that's you two hours man. and 30 two hours and 35 minutes and now we've run out of time and i haven't been able to talk about it so that was the biggest waste of my entire life i hope <laughs> yeah. you're happy oh lovely so we're lovely. having a bloody future episode on robin hood prince of thieves <laughs> Because yes, there's no Kevin, way I'm watching Kevin, that whole thing for no reason. What even is Kevin Costner? What even yeah. is Kevin Costner? We'll do anyway, the lady... greatest hits of Kevin Costner someday. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we are on Instagram. We are on YouTube. We are on iTunes. We yeah. need the reviews. Please, Give us the reviews, please, yeah, please. Sons of If you love us or hate us, um, let us know on iTunes. They don't really care as long as you gain traction. Yeah, yeah, um, as always, thank you very much for listening. Bye. Bye.